look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good. It's going to be an interesting day after this whole week of freezing. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting show today because I think what we're going to be talking about that's really going to get people um, uh, thinking about the future is we had a really good year, 2019, in the stock market. The economy was meh. Wasn't great. Economy wasn't great. So what's happening here? Yeah. What happened in 2019? Where's the outlook for 2020? Um, there's a big issue that people aren't talking about when it comes to the economy, mm-hmm. where China is going to be a dominant player, and how will it impact you and your future as an individual here in Canada? We're well, gonna and t- how will it impact global trade? What's happening? What's the longer-term trend towards global trade? Yeah, and, and are we just talking about trade? This Exactly. It's, it's going to be a, a great show today because we're going to talk a bit more broader than just mm-hmm. the economics numbers of what happened in 2019 and mm-hmm. what we think 2020. So, uh, so you got to stick around for that. But this is going to be a, a very interesting show because we're going to really talk about there is a problem happening in the, in the distant future and how do we protect ourselves from that. But in the short term, I have to tell you, uh, the markets are pretty happy. Yeah. Right? We got uh, signing of the new NAFTA deal. We've got the signing of a phase one deal with China, the United States. Hey, man, the world's a good place. It's funny how after the USMCA got signed by the Senate, um, uh, the conversation comes out after everything's been signed saying, this isn't a great deal. There's nothing new. Right. Right? The dairy farmers are happy. Like they're happy about that, but there's no big change from the previous one. Is what we're hearing in the media. You're talking about the U.S. dairy you, farmers from the from the U.S. Well, the Canadian farmers are happy, right. but there's nothing big on either side of the border. No one's saying this is a this is a game changer. Right. Okay. When you look at the U.S. China trade deal that just happened this week, they go through that 85 page document. Mm-hmm. And two go, years, two years of fighting, and they go. Meh. There's nothing here. In fact, they were hoping for tariffs to be removed. Right. That didn't change. Yep. They're going to punt that till uh, after the election. So this is now ramping up for a re-election time for uh, the current administration, and they want to see what they can negotiate along the way. What What I find interesting is the markets are still moving forward. Yes, we had some good earnings news. But if you think about it, especially in the United States, Dave, the amount of money you're paying for a company mm-hmm. for its future earnings is now at the top end or more expensive than average. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so the question is, what would make a person buy a company above the averages if they don't expect the economy to grow at a faster rate? Why would we spend that? So there's risk out there. If we look at some of the numbers that we've received, um, manufacturing has been in a recession. Yeah, globally. Globally. Right. We're, we're seeing $1.2 trillion of student debt in the United States. This mm-hmm. is just the United States. Think mm-hmm. about what happens in Canada as well. Right. So we're seeing less capabilities for growth. Right. Yet we are, as, an, as a market, paying more for something. Is it because it's better than bad is good? To some extent, right? I mean, let's take a look. I mean, the surprise, I think, to both you and me last year was the extent to which we had a U.S. rally 
inequities, and, and you could extend. The U.S. was the extreme, and the rest of the world rallied pretty well. For the, for in, the in developed a, nations, yeah. Yeah, in an economic environment that was uh, was not good. It was, it was, relative, okay. was relatively weak. Yeah, yeah, okay at best. And it, it's interesting. Now, there's a number of ways that share prices can go higher, right? I mean, companies can buy back their shares, so there's few up, fewer of them, and therefore more profit attached to each share that's out there. Yeah. So we've had some of that, for sure. Um, you can increase earnings. We didn't really see that. Uh, certainly not anywhere near the pace. At We're which... starting to see a bit more increase this week with the earnings releases, especially out of the United States. There are right. some more earnings. They're not they're not consistent. They're choppy, but right. it's coming in with more news, and more news will happen next week and the week after. Right. Or we can anticipate that, right? So what the market does is if it anticipates future profit growth, that we could bid up the price, right? Um, not on an earnings expansion, but on a multiple expansion. I'm prepared to pay... 19 times for the earnings instead of 14 times where we started the year on anticipation either that earnings are going to increase or on a relative basis. Like you said, this is just the best of the bad. You know what I find interesting is there's many um, industry peers of ours around the world who are saying, what choice do you have? Right. The, either you buy stocks or you take a very low interest rate in the bond market. And if you look what they consider to be the, the risk-free rate in the market, it is the 10-year U.S. government bond. And you get a higher dividend on average out of stocks yep. than you do interest out of those bonds. Right. What's not being con conversed about this whole thing is how much risk are you willing to take on mm -hmm. for that additional 1%, 2%? That's the differential right now. Correct. You're getting less than 2 for a 10-year U.S. government bond, you're getting around two, two maybe two and a half at yeah. the high end on average yeah. for U.S. or for uh, for stocks. U.S. Div, yeah. So why would you have exorbitant amount more risk for very little increased return? This right. is going to be the biggest problem for investors, I think, for the next 10 years. As long as interest rates mm. are low, you don't have much of a choice if you rely on purely the cash flow or the dividend or the interest that comes out of it. Right. And so then you are now chasing yield, and you're going to take on that risk of that yield. And I don't think people realize that the volatility of the stock market in the last 10 years, which has been a very good run, has been 17 to 22%, mm -hmm. depending on which side of the border. Mm -hmm. So you're taking on 17 to 22% volatility to make one. One downside, more percent. Downside. Don't say volatility. Say downside, right? Downside. Because volatility could be the upside, too. Those are fun. That's fun. Yeah, stuff. That, yeah it's easy. Down, to be, down not yeah, so fun. Correct. And so what, what challenges me as a portfolio manager is right. I have to manage the risk and the volatility on the downside for our clients. Right. How much risk am, are we willing to take for our clients to make an additional 1% or 2%? Mm-hmm. And this is the battle that people are going to face. They're going to see some great returns out there mm -hmm. from an ABC mutual fund or an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, or a money manager, or whatever it may be. And they were chasing that past performance to get what? Right. More risk. Right. And so this is where gut check comes into play. And most people won't, most people won't react this way. They'll, they'll go after that, that return until it doesn't work. Yeah, I did a bit of a rant, and I think we're going to have that rant um, out on, I think it's going to go out on LinkedIn or something in the not-too-distant future, talking about this discipline, 
right? And so one of the things that, that I'm seeing in conversations with clients early in the beginning of the year is that fear of missing out, that FOMO that we talk about. Yeah. Should we be increasing our, you know, our, our exposure to equities, right? And uh, there's a number of questions you ask in that, uh, you know, scenario, but to what extent are we, are we increasing the risk? So you can't chase return in the absence of risk. And I think that's what you're saying. And it's hard for people because as an industry, we've never taught anybody about risk-adjusted rate of return, right? And I think that people need to consider. And just think about 2018. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you think about 2018 and you think, boy, if I was all equity exposed in the United States because that's been the place to be, I was down 20% in three months. You had a million-dollar portfolio, $200,000 was gone. Now, the fact is it came back very quick, but it doesn't have to. Yeah, and do you want that experience? Right, do you want that experience? because then the emotional reaction kicks in. And, and I like the, the phrase that you've used for years now is, in the absence of risk, right. the rate of return is the only thing we measure. Right. And so our advice to everybody is, first of all, sit down with a professional. Yep. Secondly, understand how much downside you're willing to take in right. dollar form. Right. Forget about percentages. Right. Can you take $200,000 like you just mentioned? On a $1 million portfolio. On a $1 million portfolio. If you cannot take that risk at any point in time, right. regardless of how quickly right. it recovers, right. then you need to ask yourself, are you prepared to take that investment on? Right. That and profile. I, yeah, I agree. And so that's the learning outcome for today. I think people need to understand that. And we've got a great guest coming on after sure the break. Do. What we're going to talk about is what happened in 2019 from an economic perspective globally and here in Canada. And then we're going to talk about something that most economists and the media are not discussing. Yes. This is a bigger yep. problem than trade war. Right. It's not a trade war problem. It is a bigger problem than that. So we want to make sure you stick around because after the break, we are going to discuss with our guest how this economy may be going the wrong direction than you expect. Mm. Now, in that situation, you need to have a strategy, right. a plan, more importantly, a structure that will ride you through all these economic issues. And so we're going to explain that at our seminar on Tuesday, January 21st, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Course. Golf course. <laughs> you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online with morethemoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break. We'll find out what went right in 2019 and what risks we face going forward in 2020. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about economics, <laughs> Faisal. I think there was, uh, you know, the last uh, last year was uh, interesting. I think a surprise to many people in terms of equity market rallies. And it's it's leading to some interesting conversations for us. You know, people that are, are um, it's the FOMO kicking in, right? Fear what? of missing out. Right. So let's do a bit of a review of what happened last year, maybe why we got that surprise, and then and then talk a little bit about what we can expect going forward and here. I, and I was speaking to our guest at the commercial break, and I was saying to him that uh, you and I were fortunate enough to be on a call with him mm-hmm. uh, earlier uh, in the, in, I think it was last week or the week yep. before, where he kind of explained not only the economics but a thesis yep. that people are not really talking about. And I asked him in the commercial break, are, are your peers talking about it? And, they're, and, pe- and we all hear this in the media. We're all focusing on agricultural trade and farmers and soybeans and all that stuff. But it's bigger than that. Right. It's bigger than that. So I, I'm really excited about these next two uh, segments with our, with our guest. We have Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC, joining us today. Uh, Benny, welcome to the show. 
A pleasure. Thank you. Okay, uh, Benny, maybe we can start with, you know, I, I let off this um, the top of this segment by talking a little bit about uh, 2019, and it was a surprise in some respects. I'd like to just get a very quick uh, summary from you of how you felt 2019 shaped up and, you know, if there were any surprises or misses that are notable. Well, if you think about it for a second, uh, 2019 was a year of divergence, if you wish. Everything diverged. Uh, the equity market went up while the economy was actually slowing. Mm -hmm. Within the equity market, the price went up while earnings was basically in a recession uh, environment. Uh, then you have a situation in which uh, the commodity space uh, was stable while the global economy was slowing down again, diverging. Even monetary policy was diverging between um, the U.S. and Canada. So to the extent that 2019 was a year of, of uh, divergence, maybe 2020 will be a year of convergence. Uh, you know, uh, ironically, when it comes to GDP growth and all this business, uh, 2019 was not a big surprise. We expected the economy to slow down, and we got it. We knew that the trade situation will be a negative, and it was a negative. Uh, we also, quite frankly, if you recall, expected the Fed to cut interest rates, what we back then called uh, mid-cycle easing. The surprise was we expected maybe 25, maybe 50. We got 75. So that was a surprise. The magnitude of the decline in interest rates as opposed to uh, the actual uh, fact that it happened. So the question is to what extent uh, now, 2020, we'll see a different trend. We think that the Fed is basically done. It's not a stretch, by the way, to suggest that maybe, maybe we find a situation in which they will have to cut again in 2020. But for now, they are done. I think you can make the point that the Bank of Canada maybe will cut in 2020, mainly because of the fact that they want to keep the dollar relatively low. And with the Fed cutting, the bank not cutting, the Canadian dollar is um, rising, the opposite of what the Bank of Canada would like to see. The global economy will not do better than maybe 3%, more or less the same as we have seen in 2019. So we are not seeing a V-shaped recovery by any stretch of the imagination, but you have a few things helping the global economy. One is the lag impact of monetary policy. Two is fiscal policy everywhere. China, Japan, Europe, the US, and even Canada using the fiscal tool as opposed to monetary pool to lift the economy. And a temporary removal of the trade uncertainty regarding China and the U.S., at least uh, for 2020 before the elections. All those forces maybe will keep the economy going at 3 3.5%. Nothing to write home about, but not the recession that the bond market was talking about just a few weeks ago. So, so Benny, when it came to what we hear from you of what happened last year, that wasn't really reflected in the stock market. The stock market actually did very well. Even the bond market did very well. Yet um, the economy was just trucking along. So why was there a difference between what the expectation of the market is and what the economy really is doing? Yes, that's a very good uh, question. The number one force that is missing in um, the economic story is not the consumer. The consumer is there. Even housing is there clearly in the U.S., starting also, as you know, in Canada. What's missing is business investment. And here it's all about trade. The uncertainty related to trade is impacting the psyche of CEOs all over North America and Europe, suggesting that they are not willing to invest, although they have the money to do so. And that's the number one reason why the global economy slowed down, why the U.S. and Canada slowed down in 2019. At the same time, the bond market and, of course, the stock market got their fix, namely low interest rates. 
and that's basically the number one driver of um, valuations in 2019. Now, the question is to what extent we are going to see the same in 2020. Interest rates remain low, and in Canada, maybe even go lower, who knows? At the same time, the lift that you will be getting from lower interest rates is limited. Earning, we're basically in a recession over the past six months, and still the stock market went up. So we might see a convergence between the P and the E. Mm-hmm. namely between prices and earnings. We might see earnings rising a little bit, given the removal of the uncertainty regarding China, but also maybe valuations will not be rising as quickly. So there's a couple of things. The, the fiscal policy in 2020, we've had central banks for 10 years now uh, looking for some support on their monetary policy through government intervention and spending and fiscal policy and so on and so forth. Is that the story for 2020, Benny? I think yes, because all uh, central bankers are starting to realize that when it comes to the impact of monetary policy, it is diminishing. Namely, in Europe, in Japan, quite frankly, I think that negative interest rates, it's nothing, nothing it's, it's basically madness. It's basically madness. I think that uh, they really cannot achieve anything by taking interest rates to negative. In fact, the opposite is happening. Negative interest rates are counterproductive when it comes to the economy because the savings rate is rising. Think about it for a second. You're in Germany. Uh, you are a baby boomer. So you're thinking about your retirement. And uh, your German GIC is giving you basically 0% return. And you're looking at your retirement savings and says, you know what? I, I, I can, it's not enough. I need more. So what do you do? You save more. If you save more, you consume less. So negative interest rates are actually hurting consumption and therefore the economy. And that's exactly what we're seeing in Germany, where the savings rate is rising and the economy is toying with the recession. I think that negative interest rates is madness. And I don't think that the Fed or the Bank of Canada will go this direction. But even within the North America perspective, we have a situation in which the effectiveness of monetary policy is diminishing because the lower interest rates are, the less significant the impact is when you cut them more. And we are seeing it in the U.S. and clearly in Canada. And therefore, realizing that, uh, central bankers are starting to say, listen, we cannot do more than that. So governments are taking over, and fiscal policy will be the name of the game in 2020 everywhere, China, Japan, the Eurozone, Canada, and clearly in the U.S. So, Benny, let me bring it back home to Canada. We've been in Alberta feeling a little bit different probably than what we're seeing happening in other provinces like Ontario, maybe Quebec and British Columbia. Uh, we're, we're having a bit of a challenge out here in Alberta. What do we need to do in Alberta? What's your forecast for Alberta uh, in relations to the country and what needs to be done uh, so that we can start to see a bit more growth and get back to the somewhat of the, the better days of, of Alberta? Yes, uh, the good news is that uh, we don't see oil prices uh, sinking anytime soon. While the global economy is not going to be great, I think that there is some sort of uh, stability in the market uh, related to the need by Saudi Arabia and other providers to keep uh, oil prices at about 60, 65, this uh, um, neighborhood. So that's the good news. The bad news, we must, we must see progress on the pipeline saga. This cannot continue. We must find a productive way of building those pipelines, freeing that oil, make it just make sense, and finding a way to do it in a 
you know, in a responsible way. I think it can be done, and I think that's where the energy should go. So, we simply cannot continue like that. Benny, don't you, th- th- what about diversifying our economy here in Alberta? We hear that quite a bit. Uh, there really hasn't been major progress, although we are less dependent on the energy industry now than maybe 20 years ago. But do you think that it's easier to get these pipelines through, or should we put our energy towards bringing in more or diversified uh, industries into this province? I think we have to do both. I think that uh, it will be good to have the ability to ship this oil because we sit on it, so we might as well reduce our dependency on um, uh, Middle Eastern uh, oil and basically get some Western oil into the East, clearly into China, something that we have to think about. But beyond that, you are absolutely right. I remember in the good days when Alberta, Albertans were getting checks in the mail, if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was talking to the government and telling them, you know, this is a time. This is when you really want to invest your money and your energy into diversifying your economy. Those are the good seven years. The bad will come. And they did. Of course, it's very difficult to do it when you are, you know, comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you only change when you are in a crisis. And I hope that this crisis will, be, will lead to something positive. I was there just uh, recently, and we are starting to see some positive direction when it comes to high tech, when it comes to even green yeah. um, energy. But you're absolutely right, not fast enough. But I don't think we can give up the pipeline story. It is too important. Benny, we have to take a break here, um, so stick around with us for just a minute. But before we go to break, Faisal, we should talk about our upcoming seminar because, you know, all of this stuff has to be brought into context of, of, of how do we invest and maintain a lifestyle through, through retirement. There's going to be definitely some challenges coming along the way, economically speaking, that could impact their markets and your portfolio. Yep. So how do you bulletproof your retirement? We're going to do that on Tuesday, January 21st, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club. You need to reserve your seats. We're almost sold out. Yeah. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Could an economic cold war affect your ability to retire? Stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. There's an interesting topic you and I have been discussing. Uh, uh, Benjamin Tall, our, our guest, we'll get to in just a minute, has been um, has been putting forward. And I'm not sure it's a topic that's getting well covered yet. Not at all. So the trade war has been well covered. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So, but the question is, Basil, are we in a trade war or are we at the beginning of something bigger, something like an economic cold war? Yeah. And, and, and that's, what, would that, what does that mean as well as it looks? And like? I don't think people understand it. I don't right. think the media has put too much attention on that. It's, it, it will happen when we're there. Right. But if we go back in history, when we had that Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, there was really no mention of a Cold War until we were in the Cold War. Yeah. And so I, and that's, that's some of the things that you know, has been going around. Uh, Benny Tall has been one who's been sharing his insights on those issues. So we want to bring it to your attention. We think it's very important to understand where this may be heading. We have Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist from CIBC with us. Benny, welcome back. Thank you. Okay, Benny, maybe let's start with this, this notion of, of a trade war versus uh, this idea of an economic cold war that, um, uh, that you're doing a lot of thinking about. Um, explain to us maybe what the difference is. What, what, if somebody, a layman, was listening to this, well, what's the difference between a trade war and an economic cold war? Yes, I think that's what people are talking about. They call it a trade war between China and the U.S., but I think uh, it's beyond trade. It's much bigger than that. You know, in a recent um, commentary, the president of China said something very interesting. He said, 
Jade can be polished by stones from other hills. In the beginning, I had no clue what he was talking about. It's very... <laughs> no, but I didn't know what Something he was Something in a fortune about. cookie. Yeah. That's what it sounds yeah, like. very poetic. <laughs> but if you think about it for a second, to me, this is the beginning of deglobalization. This is basically China is telling you we want more independent. We want to create our own space outside the U.S., free from the U.S. Jed can be polished by stones from other hills. I think that's really very telling. China has something called Made in China 2025. Yep. It's a plan. They give you a date, 2025, and they give you a list of high-tech sectors, robotics, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, and they tell you, they're not shy about it. They tell you, we want to control by 2025, dominate globally those fields. And over the past 10 years, that's exactly what they were trying to do, buying um, uh, technology from the West to get there. What Trump is doing is basically slowing them down. This is not about soya beans. This is not about T-shirts. This is about the need to slow China down when it comes to its desire to dominate when it comes to technology globally. That's what we're talking about. So in many ways, this is not a trade war. Mm -hmm. This is a technology cold war. Why should people worry about China being the technological dominance or superpower in 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 this world? Well, that's a very good question, and uh, the answer is that um, if you are not really believing that China is a free economy and a free country, and if you believe that China does not play fair when it comes to trade, then this kind of uh, ability to dominate technology uh, globally can have a significant impact on trade and economic uh, domination down the road. And I think that Trump would like to slow it down. Uh, and so if you, for example, 80% of the tariff that, um, that was uh, imposed on China went not to T-shirts or um, soya beans, it went to technology. Yeah. If you think about it for a second, this is a brilliant, brilliant trade policy because it's attacking China where China is vulnerable, its future. That's a brilliant trade policy. Of course, he has no clue about it. It's all his advisors, but that's a different story. <laughs> and the point that I'm making here is that um, if you are Canada and there is a technology trade war, every third party will have to choose a side. Right. The way you chose a side during the trade war, uh, the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And by the way, just as a footnote, I will say, if there is a Cold War, or a version of a Cold War with China, it would be worse than the Cold War with the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union was an economy in demise. Uh, their model was bankrupt, and they were not trading with us. Here we're talking about the second largest economy globally, and they are trading with us. So it's a totally different story, and that's why it's very important to make sure that we know what we're doing here when it comes to trade and this trade war. Now, if you are a third party, you have to choose a side, now, Canada, we know where we are. If you're Germany that is doing more business with China than yeah. the U.S., do you know where you are? If you're India, do you know where you are? So it this is a struggle between economic viability and maintaining your political or ideological views of politics. And there is no question that they are connected, yeah? Down the road, uh, the winner will be the one that controls the global economy. And I think that uh, the fight over technology is the frontier 
So you said something interesting. This isn't necessarily a uh, a Donald Trump issue. This is a conservative agenda. If at the end of this year a Democrat gets elected, does this change? Is this now a U.S. position that's in place uh, regardless of administration, maybe handled differently, but um, but directionally? Absolutely. I don't think that it's a question of Democrats versus Republicans, because if there is a consensus uh, between the Democrats and the Republicans on anything, it is about China. They all believe that China was a currency manipulator. They all know that China did not play fair. And, you know, let's face it, the fact that, that Trump is Trump does not mean that he's wrong on everything. Right. He's not wrong on China. China did not play fair. Uh, the question is whether or not uh, Trump will have the, the, the ability to actually deal with the real situation. So the, the, the trade deal that they signed uh, recently, just this week, is really what I call a Trump-type trade deal. Right. Because the trend is very clear. It creates a crisis. He runs with it. He solves the crisis, quotation marks, declares victory, and the new deal is exactly the same as the old one. That's exactly what we have seen with NAFTA and NAFTA 2. And the deal with China now is really not dealing with the real issue. It is about soya beans. It is about all kinds of other things, but not technology, not what China cares about. Ben, you said one thing that, that caught my attention earlier. You're saying that the Vision 2025 for uh, China, what the Trump administration is trying to do is slow it down. You didn't say the word stop them. So this is going to happen. I don't think they can stop that. I think eventually they will get there. And as you know, the Chinese think in um, long terms. They think in terms of generations. They're simply buying time. And they know 25, well, let's call it 35, yeah? Uh, eventually they will get there. It will be uh, more slowly, but they will be there. And um, you will see, and that's why I'm talking about the beginning of deglobalization. If you look at what China has been doing over the past 10 years, they have been building the structure and the foundation to remove themselves or reduce their dependency on the U.S. While we were busy with the subprime crisis yeah. during the mother of all recessions, they were buying half of Africa. We yeah. all know that. Yeah. And over the past 10 years, they have been buying a lot of American, European, Canadian um, knowledge. They are, they are moving this direction. If you look at um, their trade policy outside North America, it's designed to remove themselves from the dominance of um, the U.S. Um, economy. So it's just a question of how quickly they can do it. Benny, and we have therefore, one... we're talking about really deglobalization. We have one minute left before we have to go for commercial break. What does this mean or impact the average Canadian? How does this impact us here at home? Well, it's a very good question. Very difficult to say. In the short term, this trade deal will actually be a positive. That's why the stock market is behaving in a nice way. From a long-term perspective, if this continues, it means that the global economy will slow down. Business investment will not there. And potentially even inflation can come back because the tariff that will be imposed during the trade war and the Cold War will be inflationary. So a bit of a different situation if this continues now. Just to make one point, this is not tomorrow. This is not next year or the year after. This is a very long, slow process, especially if we have a democratic White House. But the direction, I think, is, is very clear. Benny, yeah, I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you. Uh, that was uh, two very good segments of insightful information. We appreciate when you join us, and uh, we look forward to speaking again in the not-too-distant future. A pleasure. Thank you. Good luck.
We've been joined by Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC. Wow, that's a lot to take in, um, and we're going to try to make some sense of it. So not only do we have some short-term things to think about, we've got a longer-term trend yes. uh, in place, and I think we need to start thinking about that and uh, you know where does it take us and put it in context because retirement isn't about a year. Correct. Retirement's about 35 years. And that's where a proper structure in your retirement will help you weather these types of storms that are coming down the line. Yep. Remember, he said it's not if, it's a matter of when. So when that happens, how are you going to be structured in your retirement? Let's talk and educate people about that. We have our session on Tuesday, January 21st, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club. You need to reserve your seats. We're almost full, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. And speaking of education... As a consumer of financial services, what questions are you responsible to ask? And what is our industry and our industry um, participants, what are we responsible to ask? Stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and Woo. More Than Money. There's a lot to take in today. Oh, it is. That it was is. A, I mean, that was a lot of uh, economics and stuff. And, and I've, I've been doing a lot of research with yeah. Benny Tall and all of his, all yeah. of his doc- documentation. So this is not surprising to me. But to hear this is not a trade war, this is a cold war coming, mm-hmm. is, it's a bit hard to swallow that pill. Well, there's, a new, be challenging. there's a new economic reality, right, that we, uh, we're going to have to adjust to if his thesis is correct. And it's hard to argue against it, right? We're seeing it, we're seeing it happen right now. Um, okay, so that's a lot to digest. And, uh, um, you know, we'll uh, reintroduce the idea of our uh, seminar because we, we, this is the environment we have to work in. People are going to be retired for 35 years. Correct. And if this is the, the new norm, then what do we do about it? We'll, we'll talk about that and remind everybody at the end of the, uh, this um, segment. Um, this segment, we often talk a little bit about sort of common themes that, that have come up during the week. And yeah. you, had, you had an interesting conversation um, with somebody that I, I thought is worth, worth mentioning, right? And it, it stems to when I was throwing to this section and we were talking about it, we're talking about what responsibility do consumers have, right? Consumers of financial services, but yep. you can extend it to any area. What responsibility do you have when you're trying to find the help that you need around retirement or investing or whatever the case may be? What responsibility do we bear as industry participants, yep. right? And and so maybe just share a little bit of background about what that experience was and let's dig into the the issue. So as, as you may know, um, People see us on, on, on the social media, TV, listen to us on this station, and they want a second opinion. Yeah. So, or they want to sit down and see what our thoughts are, right? Um, and so they, they sit down with us usually or have a phone chat, and we kind of go through their situation. And I was outlining all the different services we offer within our our total process. Yeah, yeah well right? process. Yeah. We have four buckets. We talked about all four buckets, went into detail about how we handle all this. And why we do what we do. And why we right. do what we do. Because we specialize. Right. Right? And throughout the conversation, the individual kept on saying, well, my advisor has said, if any of the services you're gonna, they're going to offer you, we do that too. Right. And my and the and the individual then said to me, you know, I never ask a lot a lot of questions. Mm. I never really right inquired about taxes, about my aging parents, my family, my portfolio structure, portfolio income. structure. How much risk am I taking? Right. Will I get enough income? Will right. my money run right. out? All these different questions yeah. that when you're having that discussion start popping up in your head. Right. Right. And so 
I got I, I got thrown out. I'm like, hang on, wait a minute. Why are you have to ask those questions all the time? Yeah. What responsibility do you have versus what the advisor has, right? Yeah. What questions should we each ask? What are we responsible for? And so when I hear my my industry say we do that too, I get I, I kind of wonder why why do we allow that to happen as consumers? Right. That's like saying you're going into an into your to to get your car maintenance and then you want to get your tires rotated. But the person didn't say you should get your tires rotated for the following reasons. Right. And then when they go to another shop, your current mechanic says, "Oh, tire rotation? We do that too." Right. Shouldn't the mechanic tell you it's time? It's time. Right. Because I get that whenever I go to my shop, my right. shop, right. or your car tells you, right, it's time for service, yes. or it's time to fill up the There's gas. There's a tank. light that that shows up and says, "Hey, Faisal, you're running out of gas." Right. Puts them in. Yeah. So let's 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 be clear about this. So. There's a, there's a dual responsibility here, right? Okay. Um, consumers need to be educated to the extent that they should understand what their objectives are, right? What an advisor wouldn't know yeah. is what's in your head. Correct. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's, Here's what, what I'm, I'm worried about. about. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so those are the kinds of things that I think a, um, a client has the responsibility or a consumer of any kind, whether yeah. it's financial services, whatever you're consuming, has a responsibility to be transparent on so that the receiving party can ask the right questions, yeah. right? So in fairness, if no information was shared, okay, be very difficult to ask questions. However, I would argue that if no information is shared, you can't be an advisor anyways. You shouldn't have that how relationship. Can you, how can you invest someone's money yeah, you if you have, have no idea what the objectives are? Exactly. So as a consumer, what we're saying, what you and I talked about this, is be clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, what it is you need, what's the outcome. And sometimes clarity means just tell them what you're thinking about right. or worried about. Correct. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my retirement. I'm worried about educating my kids for post-secondary. Like These are things that you worry about, right. and then the questions can come out after that. Right. Now, there's a very big difference. I mean, any, any um, service industry faces the same thing, right? There's there's doctors that are, do different things or at different levels. There's accountants, same thing, right? Yeah. Do different things and different skill sets and so on and so forth. So it's not true that everybody does everything the same, right? So if you're clear and you're asking the right questions and providing the right information, then I think there's very fair, there's an expectation that the, the industry professional sitting on the other side of the table now can start asking appropriate questions and formulating a plan, right? It's not a reactive, oh, well, we'll do all that too. <laughs> right? That, that's unacceptable. And I think the difference is what we haven't identified in our industry is what does that, quote unquote, advisor do? Right. Yeah, good point. Because there are literally advisors who only give you advice on investments. Right. And that's what they do. Right. Then there's advisors who give you a total holistic approach like retirement transition specialists. Sure. Yep. And so... You need to ask those types of questions. What do you do? Who do you do it for? And what's your specialty? Yeah. And if you don't have those understandings, then you're going to assume that everybody's the same type of advisor. Right. Which is where the conversation of we do that too comes into play. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Because and we're it, all advisors. We're all licensed. Every doctor has a doctor's license. Right. But doesn't mean every doctor does the exact same thing. Right. And so on the 
client or individual consumer of those services, their responsibility is to try to understand who your advisor services on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Number two is able to express your fears, concerns, worries of what your financial future may be. Yeah, or, or desires and outcomes. Yeah. Right? All of those things. Because if you're expressing desires and outcomes that go beyond just portfolio management, just I need 7%, yeah. right? Then, you you know, the advisor, you'll be able to interview whether or not there's a process to do that. Yeah. Right? There's nothing wrong with an advisor who's focused entirely on return. That's good. If that's what on the person needs. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But if there's a, a bigger picture, I need a peace of mind to know that I can sustain my lifestyle. Well, that goes beyond just rate of return. There's a bunch of planning in there. There's a bunch of tax stuff, proper structure, and all I'll, of these things. I'll tell you what happens. We have about a minute left, Dave. So okay. I, I, um, I'll tell you what happens. is you, you, uh, A consumer will sit down with uh, a, um, a participant in, our, in the financial industry and say, here's my money. Let's, let's try to go from there. And then they start over time thinking about the other things that they need. Mm other services they may sure. want or and they go okay well maybe you're not the right person so they shop around yep. get second opinions yep. and they go can you give me what I'm looking for without a first asking the current advisor do you provide those services right. and then why wasn't that provided to me or given an option to use at the, right. in the past and then when they're shopping around they're they're just looking for the fix of that one problem yeah fair Good they're point. not looking at what else do I need to think about right. so if you're going around looking for second opinions the one question I always I want my my individual to ask me is, what am I not asking? Right. What am I missing? Yeah, what do I need to know that I haven't asked? Because right? you won't even, sometimes you don't know what questions to ask. You put me in front of a doctor, I don't know all the questions exactly. to ask. Yeah, exactly. What do I need to know that I haven't asked you? Yeah. Okay, good point. Um, let's finish up on this segment. we got to remind everybody about our, our next uh, seminar. Yeah, Tuesday, January 21st, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Course. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethemoneyradio.com. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We look forward to chatting next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.